Right, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. If someone were to open up an investigation of your life, and they had a way of taking all the information about your life and, and to, into one, let's just, let's just say Google made this awesome algorithm for this, okay? And so, so there's an algorithm that they're using, and they take uh, the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your money, the the kind of person you are, the things you talk about, the things you think about, the things you pray about, the decisions that you've made, and, and, and just put it all together into one, again, let's make up an algorithm that, that they're using. The algorithm showed you uh, what is your mission? What, what would your mission be? What would someone look at if, if they did a full orbed investigation of your life and, and put all the pieces together and, and, and said, this person's mission in life is what? What would it be? What would someone say your mission is if they got a full view of your life? I, I think that some common answers that you might find about people in general are, are these. That this person's mission gathered all the data. This person's mission is to enjoy life as much as possible. This person we're looking at, they, they live for pleasure. They, they work as hard as they need to work so that they can do the things they want to do. They spend money on entertainment and on adventure and on vacation. Uh, they've got a big long-term goal of early retirement so that they can buy a yacht and go on a, uh, a never-ending uh, sail across the world, right? And, and they, they live for pleasure. That, that's what their mission is. Enjoy life as much as possible. Or someone else, you might say, this person's mission is to succeed at the highest level. That's what this person is all about. Back when they were in school, they were all about getting the highest grades, getting into the best college, then getting the best career, working their way up the career ladder, having, be, being as successful as they can be. And it translates into the home that, that, that this person lives for the success of their children. They, they, their children are doing everything they can do because they want them to be successful and well-rounded and good people. And they want their marriage to be successful. They want, they want every aspect of their life to be marked by success. This person's mission is to succeed at the highest level. Or someone else, uh, you might say, this person's mission is to be a good person and to help others. This person uh, gives their time to their community. This person uh, gives money to others. This person uh, seeks to be a good neighbor, seeks to offer a helping hand. They're always just seeking to do good to other people. This person's mission is to be a good person that helps others. Or this person's mission is to defend their country and to, uh, and to uh, fight for the country that they believe uh, they should, it should be, and so they are all about their political party, they are all about uh, voting and getting others to vote, they are all about defending the platforms uh, that they, their political party uh, is based on, and, and that's what they're about. If you just spoil them, like, everything's about their country and, and the kind of country they believe it should be. These are all things you might find about people in general, right? P people attach themselves to missions, don't they? Everyone in this world attaches themselves to some sort of mission, pleasure, success, morality, country, social causes, whatever else you might discover. And here's the reality is that human beings long to be part of a cause. Human beings long to be part of a cause. We long to have a mission. We long to desire uh, something great, to accomplish something great. And this longing is a good thing. This longing can be traced back to how God created us. You know, God didn't just put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with nothing to do. God put Adam and Eve in the Garden and, sent, and gave them a mission. 
He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Adam and Eve had a purpose. They had a mission for which they were created for, to, to cultivate God's kingdom in God's world for all that was, that was inherent in it. That was their mission, to reign over the world under God as their king and to cultivate the kingdom of God in this beautiful creation he had made. But since sin entered the world in the garden, we have all rejected the mission of God. And we've instead given ourselves over to the mission of building our own many kingdoms in God's world. Sinful human beings are on, we're all on rebellious countermissions to the mission of God. We, we attach ourselves to any mission we can besides the mission of God. And, and you might call these rebel missions. We are all on rebel missions as sinful human beings. And no matter how hard we go after these rebel missions, how successful our mission might be, in the end, we will always say what the author of Ecclesiastes said. And he was the best at this. The author of Ecclesiastes went after everything you could go after, every cause you could attach yourself to, and in the end he said, it's all vanity. It all amounts to nothing. I've got to give it all back. No one's going to remember me within two generations. I mean, I mean that, that, that's where we end up with these rebel missions. Well, when Jesus called the first disciples to himself, he called them to join his mission. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Those who follow Jesus are called by Jesus into the greatest mission in the history of the world. You want to be part of a cause, you want to be part of a mission? Well, God's mission to redeem humanity from the fall, Christ's mission to seek and to save the lost, this is the mission that Christ calls us into. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then this is your mission too. This is your mission. This is what people should be able to say about your life. If they put all the data together, they should be able to say, this person's mission is to make Jesus Christ known wherever they are. This person's mission is to seek and save the lost for the glory of Christ. This person's mission is to bring the hope of the gospel to the lost. That should be the marked mission of every disciple of Jesus. You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. This morning's passage is Matthew 9, starting in verse 35, and we're going into chapter 10 through verse 15 today. This is a new section in Matthew, and in this section, Jesus is giving his disciples instructions for the mission that he is sending them on. And I want to say something about these instructions we're about to read. Uh, on the one hand, these instructions were very uh, much for a certain time and a certain place. There's going to be things in this passage that we read that do not apply in the same way to us today that they did when Jesus gave these instructions to the disciples. We are in a different time and a different place, truly a different uh, epoch of redemptive history than they were in. And so there's going to be some things that, that seem a little different and that don't apply uh, directly to us. And yet, these instructions are also timeless. In these instructions, we see enduring truths and enduring principles that are all for, they're for all disciples in every time and in every place as we enter into the mission of Jesus. So, so this morning what we're doing is we're going to look at these instructions and as we do realize Jesus is calling you as his disciple into his mission. He, is, he wants to show you what it means to be on mission for his glory. He, he, he's given instructions to equip us and to help us know what does this look like to, to follow him and to obey his commission that he's given us. 
So let's read the passage, starting in verse 35 of chapter 9. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. What I want to do this morning is give you seven words. Seven words that will help us understand and enter into Jesus' mission. Seven words this morning. First word is compassion. Compassion. And compassion is the heart of missions. Compassion is the heart of missions. Look at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So this passage begins with Matthew giving us a summary of Jesus' ministry, something that he's done before in the gospel that indicates a new section. And what, what, and, but look, what, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do in his ministry? Well, he taught the scriptures. And we know that when he taught them, he taught that they pointed to himself. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, and he proclaimed that it was coming in himself. And he performed miraculous healings that authenticated that teaching and preaching, that, that said, yeah, what I just said is true. Here's, here's a miracle to show you that it's true. It authenticated those things. This is what Jesus did. This was his ministry. He was a light in the darkness of Israel, coming and proclaiming the good news, teaching the scriptures faithfully, and showing that he was the fulfillment. This is what Jesus did but what we're going to ask now is, why did Jesus do these things? What led Jesus to do these things? What moved Jesus to the synagogues to teach? What moved Jesus to touch people who needed healing? And we see it in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus did the things he did because he saw the crowds, and had compassion for them. He saw the crowds and he had compassion for them, and that moved him to help them. Compassion is when someone is deeply affected, inwardly affected by the pitiful condition of another. 
and by the suffering of another. They're, they're internally moved by that toward the person to help them. Compassion is this, is this deep emotion, this deep affection of pity for someone and of desire to help someone that if it's really there, it does move you. Compassion truly moves you to that person. And Jesus moved toward people. Jesus saw them and he moved toward them because he was moved with compassion. He was deeply affected by their condition. What was their condition? What did Jesus see when he saw the crowds? He saw harassed and helpless sheep with no shepherd. You know, the Bible likens human beings to sheep because sheep are completely dependent creatures. Sheep are utterly dependent. They need a shepherd to survive. I saw a thing online last year that there was a, there was a sheep that was in the wild and, and it didn't have a shepherd and, and its wool had grown so long, just just. I don't know how heavy it was, but it, it couldn't, it, it, it was covered, it couldn't see, it couldn't eat, it was going to die because its wool had grown so long. And a sheep can't give itself a haircut, right? A sheep needs a shepherd just to cut its hair so that it can survive. Sheep are dependent in every single way. And this, this is who we are as, as creatures. We are dependent. We are finite. We are created, and we depend on our creator. And, and here are sheep with no shepherd. Sheep that are shepherdless, sheep that would not survive, sheep that were destined for destruction. And then Matthew describes the sheep's condition further by saying that they were harassed and helpless. They were harassed and helpless. And these words cue us into an important Old Testament prophecy that Christ fulfills. Matthew's telling us something here. Remember, this, this whole series is called Following the Fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And here Matthew is telling us that Jesus fulfills the promise of Ezekiel 34. I want you to turn there with me. So important to see how these passages connect. Ezekiel 34. You can turn back in your Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, Daniel. Which was it? Which is it? Ezekiel's after Jeremiah. All right. Ezekiel 34. And I want to tell you what's going on in this passage. God is prophesying against the shepherds of Israel, the spiritual leaders of Israel at this time, because they have not been caring for the sheep, caring for the people of Israel the way they should. And so look in Ezekiel 34 at how this begins in verses 1 through 4. God says to the shepherds, Son of man, prophesy, look in verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. These shepherds have not cared for the sheep, they have harassed the sheep. And God is speaking against their shepherding here. And look what he says, look down in verses 11 and 12, what God says he will do to the shepherds and do instead of the shepherds. He says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search out for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. 
Skip down to verse 15. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So God prophesies against the shepherds of Israel, and then he says, I'm going to be their shepherd. I'm going to come. I'm going to seek them. I'm going to heal them. I'm going to make them lie down. As in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. God's saying, I'm going to do that. I'm going to come and rescue my sheep from you, false shepherds, and I'm going to, I'm going to shepherd them the way that a shepherd should shepherd them. But then look down at verse 23. Look at verse 23 of Ezekiel 34. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So God says, I'm going to come shepherd them. I myself, and I'm going to send David, and David's going to shepherd them. Which is it? Which is it? And, and, and the truth is, it's, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who fulfills God coming to his people to be their shepherd, the son of David coming to his people to be their shepherd. This, this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus, and Matthew is telling us that back in Matthew chapter 9. He's saying they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But here's the son of David. We saw that here's the son of David who has come just as God promised. The divine shepherd king to heal and restore and shepherd his people who have been harassed by the, by the false religious leaders of Israel. Helpless in their sin. Here's the good shepherd who has come for them. Jesus is the one that God sent on this rescue mission for his sheep. And here's the thread that connects all of this back to mission. It's compassion. It's compassion. Listen, in Ezekiel 34, God had compassion on the lost sheep of Israel, didn't he? God was moved by their condition to rescue them and to be their shepherd and to send a shepherd. God had compassion on Israel, and, and that compassion moved God to send his son. Because God had compassion, he sent his son on his mission. Now here's Jesus with the same compassion as his father who sent him. He has that same compassion, and what's he going to do? He's going to send us. He's going to send his disciples which means what? Which means that just as Jesus shared the Father's compassion, we need to share Jesus' compassion for the sheep. Compassion is the heart of missions. Compassion is what moved God to send Christ to be our Savior. And compassion is what must move us to respond to Christ's call to go to the lost sheep in this world. Compassion is what we must have if we are going to join his mission. So my first application this morning is to cultivate compassion for people by seeing them as God sees them. Cultivate compassion for people by seeing them as God sees them. And within that, first, church, you need to see people. See them. Consider them. 
think about people from your neighbor next door to the unreached people group on the other side of the world see the people in this world. Open your eyes to the need all around you. See them and then see them from God's perspective. See people for who they really are, lost, harassed, helpless, shepherdless sheep who need Jesus to be their shepherd. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that he used to regard Christ according to the flesh. He's speaking of before he uh, came to believe in Jesus, before Jesus appeared to him. He used to regard Christ as just, just a man and just an imposter. But when he came to believe in Jesus, he realized that, that everyone who's in Christ is a new creation. He says we don't regard anyone according to the flesh any longer. I mean, it means that every person we see, we see them as either being in Christ or not in Christ. Every person we see, they are either in Jesus' fold and he is their shepherd or they are lost sheep and he is not their shepherd. And without a shepherd, they are destined for destruction. See them from God's perspective. See that they need Jesus to be their shepherd and then pray for God to move your heart in such a way that you are moved to help them. Pray that God would cultivate that compassion in you. Soften your heart to the needs of people so that when we see people, we respond the way Jesus responded. We move toward them in compassion. Compassion is the heart of missions. We must have compassion. Second word this morning is prayer. Prayer is the power for missions. What is the first thing that Jesus calls his disciples to do as he brings them into his mission? He invites them to pray. He calls them to pray. Look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus uses the analogy of a harvest that is ready to be reaped. And at this time of year, I can't help but think of all the white cotton fields all over the place. And, and, and that cotton is ready to be picked, right? Jesus is saying, it's harvest time. The harvest is plentiful, but there's a problem. There aren't enough laborers. Someone needs to go and reap this harvest. This is an image of people prepared to receive the gospel, people prepared by God to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the only thing that's missing are laborers to reap. It's surprising then, isn't it, that Jesus' first command is not go, go to the fields, but instead it's therefore pray. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest. And the key here is understanding that whose harvest this is. It's not our harvest. This is the, the, there is a Lord of the harvest. God is the, God is the Lord of the harvest. God is the one who plants this field. God is the one who watches over it. God is the one who brings it about. God is the one who brings salvation, success and mission, therefore, begins with prayer to the Lord of the harvest, recognizing this is your work. This is your harvest. You, you are the one that, that is doing this, and, and we see the need, and so we come to you humbly as the Lord of the harvest, and we ask that you would send laborers. This is the first way we pray in missions. We ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest field. This is something that every disciple should be doing. And notice Jesus says pray earnestly. This is prayer that's fueled by the compassion we just talked about. 
if you're truly compassionate about these people, then you will pray earnestly for them that the Lord will send laborers out. This is prayer that's marked by the desperate and confident faith that we saw two weeks ago. We're not just desperate for ourselves anymore. Now we're desperate for others. And we're confident that God can meet the needs of others. And so we earnestly pray for laborers in the field. Church, do you pray this way? Do you pray this way? Jesus calls every one of us to pray regularly and earnestly to the Lord of the harvest for laborers in the harvest. Pray, our Father in heaven, there are people who need a missionary. Pray that way. There are people who need a witness to Christ. They, they are sheep without a shepherd. And Lord, in your power and for your glory, please send laborers to these people. Pray that way. God hears that prayer. God will respond to that prayer. The Lord of the harvest will respond to the prayers of Jesus' disciples to send laborers out, but we need to pray. Moved by compassion, we pray. And then the third word this morning is this, calling. Calling. In response to the prayers of his people, God calls laborers into the harvest field. As chapter 10 opens, we get, we get the first example of the Lord answering this kind of prayer. Look at verses 1 through 5. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon is called Peter and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, these twelve Jesus sent out. These twelve Jesus sent out. And the first thing we need to see here is that Jesus sends out some of his disciples. You know, we are so used to, we hear disciple and we think twelve. Disciple twelve, right? But, but there were more than twelve disciples. There were more followers of Jesus than just the twelve but especially earlier on in Jesus' ministry. And so when Jesus called the disciples to pray, he's likely calling a, a larger group of disciples to pray. But now, from that larger group of disciples, he calls 12. He chooses 12 of them to send them out. And notice that they're disciples, but then in verse 2, he says they're apostles. And that word apostle means send. Now it takes on a more technical term as their ministry develops, but the very core of that word is, is someone who is sent out. Jesus is choosing these 12 and sending them out on his mission. Listen, all followers of Jesus are called to be fishers of men. All disciples are called to go to the lost wherever they are. We are all invited into Jesus' mission and called to be on mission. And yet none of that negates this reality that some disciples are called by God to leave their homes and go to places where the laborers are few. Not every one of us is called to leave and go to a mission field. Everyone is part of the mission, but only some go. And we see that pattern develop right here. Only some go. And who are these some who go? The ones who leave everything else behind and go to those harvest fields. Who are the laborers? In this passage, it's those whom Christ himself chooses to give his authority to. Notice he gives them authority for the mission. It's his authority, authority to do the things he was doing, casting out demons, healing diseases. Now, what does that mean for us today, though? <laughs> right? Um, if, if, if you're a missionary and you're sent out, are you, are you supposed to do those things? How, how do we know who Christ authoritatively chooses? Well, the New Testament teaches that the ascended Christ 
listen, the ascended Christ exercises his authority through the word and his spirit and the church. Through his word and the spirit and the church. And, and this is practical, but it's important. Listen, those who are called today, they receive that call as the spirit impresses it on your heart through the word of God. You're reading the word of God. You're understanding the calling. And the Holy Spirit is, is impressing on your heart that, that sense that inward, conscience-bound sense that God is calling me to go. God is calling me to leave and be a missionary. You, you sense that, but then there's another step. The church needs to affirm that call in your life. The church needs to come alongside you and help equip you and affirm that and commission you, lay hands on you. This is exactly what happened in Acts 13. Think about Acts 13 and the church is praying. First of all, they're praying. They're fasting. Maybe they were praying for laborers to, to be sent into the harvest field. And then what happens? The Holy Spirit shows them that Paul and Barnabas were supposed to go, and they lay their hands on them and commission them. That Paul and Barnabas didn't just go lone ranger. No, they were sent by the church that commissioned them as the church was praying for laborers. This is the pattern through which Christ authoritatively sends missionaries. It's, it's as he impresses on your heart to go, and then you come alongside your church, and the church commissions you to that task. Just as it would be wrong for a disciple just to tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to go on mission for you. It would be wrong in our day for someone to just go be a missionary without the affirmation and commissioning of their church. And so, church, consider if Christ is calling you to be a missionary. Consider that today. You might think that you're, you're, you're way past the time of considering those questions. Don't think that. Consider if Christ is calling you to go somewhere else, leave behind your home, your life, to, to go to a place where the laborers are few. Consider as you read the scriptures and as you pray for people who need the gospel, and then bring that consideration to the elders. Bring that consideration to the church. Let us know, I think God is doing this in me. Come alongside me in that, and we will discern and, and affirm and commission you under the authority of Christ together and rejoice in that. I pray, church, that, that God raises up missionaries from this number here today. Some of you would sense that call and that we would together see that Christ is commissioning you to go. The fourth word this morning is location. Location. Where do you go? Where do you go? Where are these harvest fields? Well, the answer Jesus gave to the disciples then was this, in verse 5 and 6. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, this is different, huh? Jesus restricted the missionary activity of the twelve disciples to the nation of Israel. They, they were not to go beyond Israel territory uh, to the Samaritans or to the Gentiles. And we hear this, and if you're familiar with uh, the Gospels, and you're familiar with the Great Commission, which says, go and make disciples of all nations, and it's just a little confusing, right? Well, why would Jesus say, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, just go to Israel? We need to understand that these instructions were given before the cross and resurrection. God was still relating to the nation of Israel as the special focus of his redemptive work. Jesus came as their promised Messiah, and so in God's wise plan to redeem the whole world, God's dealings were still with Israel as the focus of his mission. The way had not been opened yet. Here's what would happen as we fast forward. Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah. 
Israel did not receive this promised fulfillment. And this rejection, we find out, was actually part of God's plan because through this rejection, Jesus died on a cross for the sins of all his people. And then he rose again, and his death and resurrection brought about the new covenant. And in that new covenant, all the old structures of Israelite religion are done away with, and now all people can come to God through Jesus Christ. And so now we are called to go to all nations, to all people groups, to all languages. Now there are no restrictions. Jesus is not saying to anyone, don't go there. No, don't go there. There are no prescribed restrictions on missions anymore. There's no people or place that the scripture says to us, don't go there. And this means first that wherever we are, all of us, wherever we are, we should be going to the people around us with the gospel. At your work, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your kids' soccer league, whatever it might be, wherever we are, there's no restrictions on on who to take the gospel to. All people, all nations, all lost sheep. And at the same time, when we think about sending missionaries, we should be asking the Lord, send us where the laborers are few. We want to go where the harvest fields are plentiful and the laborers are few. Send us where the workers are needed. And we pray for God's leading in that process. But we want to send our missionaries where the workers are needed most. Fifth word this morning. We've got three more. Fifth word, ministry. The work of missions. What should laborers actually do? You've been called, you've been given authority, you've been sent, you're going, now you're there. What do you do when you're there? Verses 7 and 8, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This passage again brings up some interesting questions about how we apply it today. But the first thing we can say is this, about the work of missions. We follow Jesus as our example. Jesus is the example for missions. Jesus called the disciples to do the same things he was doing. The text began by telling us he preached the gospel. He he taught the scriptures. He healed disease. And now he says to the disciples, do the same things I've been doing. We follow Jesus' example. We proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and we we authenticate that proclamation. But, But that's the question, right? How do we authenticate this proclamation of the gospel? How do we authenticate this proclamation of the kingdom? Are missionaries called to do these miracles today? Well, first, we need to understand that the miracles of Jesus, and by extension of the disciples turned apostles, they were given to authenticate that proclamation at that time. The miracles functioned to show what Jesus was saying was true. But as the church was established. And as the New Testament scriptures were written and given, now the witness of the scriptures and of the church authenticates that proclamation. Now, we don't authenticate the gospel we're preaching with signs and wonders. We authenticate the gospel we're preaching through the the scriptures which are living and active and through the work of God in the church to love each other. To love each other. And, and, And there's the connection is that it's not merely gospel proclamation, just as Jesus in compassion proclaimed the gospel and ministered to the needs of people. So missions work combines gospel proclamation with merciful ministry to people's needs. Missions work combines word and deed. We should seek to love and help and serve people wherever we go. And listen, this love is one of the ways that the gospel is authenticated to those people. As you love them, as you serve them, as you enter into their needs with gospel love, you, you live out what you're proclaiming. 
And as they read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit confirms in their heart this is true. And so church, equip yourself for ministry. Whether you're going or whether you're, you're staying, grow in your understanding of the proclamation of the gospel. Grow in being able to tell someone, here's the gospel. Every one of us should be able to say to someone else, here's the gospel. Here's what Jesus has done. We have great resources in the back, uh, a book called What is the Gospel, a track called Two Ways to Live. Read those, study those, know how to tell someone, here's the gospel. Here's what, here's what Jesus has done for us. And then consider how God is calling you to serve and love those you are seeking to reach. Show them mercy in those ways. Sixth word is Provision. Provision. Jesus comes to a practical matter here for those who are called to go. And it says this, how will they live? We need food. We need shelter. We need clothes. How is a missionary going to get by? Look at the end of verses 8 through verse 10. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. So there's a few things there. First, Jesus commands missionaries, and by extension, all who labor in the gospel, to labor free of charge. To labor free of charge. And the reason for this is so important. He says, you received without paying. You received without paying. Church, did any of you have to pay to receive Jesus Christ? Did any of you have to, have to come and write a check to receive the Holy Spirit? No. Salvation is a gift of God's grace that we did not have to work for or earn or pay for. We received without pay. We received the gospel without pay. Jesus came free of charge and laid down his life for us so that we could be saved. We received so much more than we could ever say without pay. Free. The free gift of God. This is the gospel we've received. And if that's true, then we must extend this gospel and advance this gospel and offer this gospel free of charge, right? This is why prosperity gospel preachers are so truly evil, right? Charging for what should be what has been received freely. The charge for the gospel of grace. What gospel is that? May that never be the case here at Redeemer or in anyone we ever send. We receive without pay and give without pay. But of course that raises a question, well, how do missionaries live then? If, I, if I'm just doing all this for free, what do, how do I live? I need, I need to feed my family. I need clothes. What do I do? And Jesus gives two principles here. Again, it's a very different time, very different place, but two principles. You live through simplicity and support. Simplicity and support. These instructions about uh, tunics and money belts and sandals and all the rest have one simple point. Simplicity. Take what you need. Don't take anything more. You don't, you don't need to store up a lot of extra. Just take what you need to go and preach the gospel. And on the flip side of this, Jesus says, for the laborer deserves his food. Missionaries are the laborers God has sent into the harvest field, and this is a promise that God will provide all that you need. When you go, simply, God will provide all that you need. The laborer deserves his food. You are his laborer. He will give you your food. Now, church, how does God provide what missionaries need? Well, we could go Old Testament here, and, and God, God could go Old Testament. He could say, I'm, I'm just going to rain down manna on the missionaries every day. I'll just send some quail their way. They can strike, some, strike a rock, get some water. I mean, God, God could do that, right? And that'd be, that'd be one way he could do it, but that's not what God is doing. How does God support missionaries? Through us, right? Through those who stay, 
through those who send. We support them. God provides for them through the support of those who stay. And this is one of the ways that we are all to participate in this mission. We don't all go, but we all are part of it. Supporting this work so that those who go can go freely. Those who go can give the gospel freely. So a few applications here, church. So those who go, commit to a simple lifestyle that displays trust in God to provide what you truly need. Commit to a simple lifestyle that displays trust in God to provide what you truly need. This is not to say that you don't use wisdom in, in, in your decisions, but, but trust the Lord in those decisions. Commit, commit to living simply. And then to those who send, if, if, we, are, if we are saying to missionaries, you've got to live simply, then why would we who send them not at some level apply that to ourselves so that we can support them more? Right? The, 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 the more simply we live so that we can give more to missions, the more people we can send out and support on this mission, right? So, so we should consider how can I simplify my lifestyle here so that I have more to give to those who God is calling to go so that they can give this gospel freely. We should be thinking practically about that. What, what do I not need that I could give instead to a missionary so that they can go? Let's, let's, let's all embrace these principles of simplicity and support as we are called into this mission. Church, I've said a lot this morning. I've got one more word to say, but I've said a lot so far. A lot of it's very practical, and that's okay because this is, this is real. This, this is real life, nitty-gritty stuff that matters. We have missionaries who are going to go. We need to support them. We need to understand what we're doing. All of this is real and it matters and I pray that we'll apply it to our lives. But this last word, I pray, brings the weight of all this to us and it's reception. Reception. Look at how this passage ends. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Reception. Once again, there are elements to these instructions that are very different. They're very tied to the disciples' time and place. They lived in a day and age where if you traveled somewhere, there were, you, you didn't go to a hotel. You relied on hospitality of others to bring you into their home, give you a place to sleep. So that's part of what's going on here. As they travel, they, they need to look for these places. But it's, it's more than just a place to sleep, isn't it? It's obvious that they aren't just finding a place to sleep. They, they are bringing the message of the gospel with them. And so those who receive them, they're receiving the message. Those who receive the disciples into their homes are receiving the message, and they're receiving the one they represent. And, the, and vice versa, if they reject them, they're rejecting the message. They're rejecting the message of the kingdom, and, and in that, they're rejecting Christ. And, and look what Jesus says. For those who receive them, they have peace. The disciples proclaim peace, but that proclamation of peace, what is that? It's, it is the disciples saying to those people, you have peace with God because you are receiving the message of the kingdom that is centered on Jesus Christ, the shepherd we need. So, so receiving a missionary, truly receiving their message is receiving the peace of God. But rejecting a missionary and rejecting their message, what is that? Jesus says, let your peace return to you. 
these people will not experience this peace of Christ. He says, shake off the dust from your feet. This is what Jews would do when they left a Gentile territory. So imagine, imagine them going into Israelite towns and shaking the dust off their feet as they leave. What are they, they're, they're saying, you are not part of God's people. You are cut off because of your, re, your rejection of, of one of these disciples. Jesus says, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the person who rejects one of his sent ones. Sodom and Gomorrah is the picture of wickedness and judgment in the Old Testament. And yet Jesus says there is a worse judgment for those who reject the ones he sends. Why is that? Because these ones that Jesus sends represent him. They represent Christ. Those Christ sends are Christ's ambassadors. And and all of us are Christ's ambassadors in this world. And this is a weighty thing. Missions is not a little thing. Missions is not a side thing. Missions is an ultimate thing. The God of the universe is making his appeal to the world to be reconciled to him, and he's doing it through you and me. There's no greater responsibility or privilege than to represent this God as his ambassadors in missions. Some things are so weighty that we shrink back from them. You know, people shrink back from getting married or from having children because they know that's a big deal. I'm not sure I want to do that. And yet for those who enter into those things, there's such joy, right? Well, this is even more true for missions. It's a weighty thing to represent the living God as his ambassador and to to bear the message of the gospel so that those who receive you receive his peace. Those who reject you will be judged. But there is so much joy in this mission, church. Do not shrink back from this mission. Embrace it. Give yourself to it. Receive the call to be a part of the greatest mission in the history of this world. The mission of God to redeem his people. The mission of Christ to save lost sheep. Church, listen. He saved you when you were a lost sheep. You were lost. You were harassed. You were helpless. And Jesus came free of charge. He laid down his life for you. He brought you to himself, and he loves you. And he's the one, this one who laid down his life for you, this one who loves you, is the one calling you to this. You can trust him, and you can entrust yourself to him. And this morning, I pray that you would obey that call. Obey the call of Jesus to be on mission. That your life would be about this mission. And that you would bring every aspect of your life under this purpose just as Jesus came to seek and save the lost, that we, moved by compassion, would pray, we would support, we would send, we would preach, we would love, and we would bear bear the responsibility of being his ambassadors in this world. Just take a minute this morning to bring everything you've heard before the Lord in your heart and ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I grow in entering into this mission? Help me to obey, Lord. Do that this morning for a few moments.